Welcome to JavaScript Jam Live. What's up, everybody? Yeah. Today's another beautiful day. It is a Wednesday, of course. Wednesday? What? Yeah, I think so, because we do this, what, uh, every Wednesday. Wow. Yeah, ooh, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, I know. Well, we're so happy to be here today. I'm so happy to be here today. Anthony, are you so happy to be here today? Hey, Sean, are I'm you always so happy, happy to, be here, to be here. Scott, it's Wednesday. I no, I actually was thinking about this earlier today. This is my yes. favorite meeting of the week. Hey. My this is my favorite activity. Yeah. <laughs> favorite activity, yes. Uh, I love this. No, this is great. Saban, what's up, brother? I see you waving. Uh-huh. Welcome. Haven't seen you in a minute. I think uh, you guys have some news over there, you know. Um, at uh, Prisma, I think there's something going on. Maybe you could, I don't know, mention a couple things here and there. That'd be cool. We could talk about that. But yeah, thank you all so much for joining us today. We got some awesome things to talk about uh, as well. Um, as you can see from the title, um, new React docs and stuff like that, which... Uh, I've seen um, a lot of people talking about, um, you know. And, and front-end development's over. Pack yeah, it up, and go front-end development is, is over. Uh, yeah, we, we can close up shop on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, uh, ChatGPT. <laughs> React.dev, right? That's where we're headed. Okay. Well, anyway, um, super excited for this one. Um, thank you all for joining us. And I just want to say this real quick, whether you're a beginner or whether you've been doing this for a long time, web development, that is, um, it doesn't matter. We want to hear from everybody. So feel free to click and uh, uh, raise your hand to come up or uh, request to come up. I always say raise your hand because that was a clubhouse thing. And I said that for like eight or nine months straight of my life. So, <laughs> so it's, yeah, raise your hand. You can raise your um, hand in this. You can, you can, you can, cool. but it's different than Clubhouse because that's how you came up in Clubhouse, right? It's like raise your hand. But uh, anyway, either way, quick request, come on up. We'd love to hear from you, whether it's an opinion or a fact or uh, a question, whatever. We want to hear it, um, and and it's going to be some good conversation. So, in fact, actually, that's when the best conversation happens is when we do that because uh, and get you guys involved, you know, um, and, and being a part of what we're doing here because. If, if more people are involved, the more value there is. And, and typically, just great conversations happen from that. So, all right. Um, I'm going to go ahead and introduce myself real quick. And then Anthony and Ishan can introduce themselves. And we're going to get rolling. So, hang on to your seats. Or if you're at a stand-up desk, hang on to your desk. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. All right. I am Scott Steinlogi, and I'm the Technical Community Manager at Edgeo. Anthony. Um, Anthony Campolo. I am a developer advocate at Edgeo. And I am Ishan Nand, VP of product for applications product at Edgeo as well. Um, and one thing I do want to mention is if you haven't, uh, I'd encourage you to sign up uh, for our newsletter on javascriptjam.com, all one word. Um, and we send out that newsletter 
Um, and that usually has a lot of topics we, we plan to talk about. Um, so if you haven't uh, signed up, sign up and you can go see the newsletter archive. Um, those are some of the topics that you know came up over the past week to talk about. But again, as Scott said, we're like an open mic. Anything folks want to talk about, raise your hand. We're happy to change the topic and, and talk about that as well. And you can see the latest issue on the Jumbotron. So, you know, I uh, I was, you know, Ooh, Anthony. I'm sorry. Great job can I, can yeah, I stop you real quick? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I, I almost forgot to do this, but do we want to go ahead and really quickly just talk about, before we get into the deep thickets of things, um, to talk about our upcoming new series, potentially? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And maybe some of the, the developer events as well, or is that premature? No, yeah. No, definitely. We we have been touching on Let's that hit every, them all. every time. So, Let's hit them all. Okay. All right. We're going to spend... Okay, guys, don't... Don't don't worry. You're about to get some awesome uh, news here. It's really exciting stuff going on. Um, well, I think it is. I don't know. <laughs> you could be the judge. We'll let you be the judge, and we're going to let you take part in this, okay? And here's what I mean by that. So Anthony and I are going to be doing a new series uh, live. Uh, we're going to be uh, putting out on our YouTube channel on JavaScript Jam, and we're going to be shooting it over here to Twitter live as well, and we're going to be doing this on Thursdays. And what this is is a coding live coding series. So um, some of you may know that I know a little bit of coding. I know some HTML, some CSS, eh, hair of JavaScript here or there, which is quite funny for me being on here and kind of helping co-host this and see this stuff. But you know what? It's always a great journey and fun. So with that being said, Anthony is going to teach me to learn and, and to, to code some more, right? So, uh, and we're going to get more in depth with, we're, and we're not just going to do like your typical advocacy, like, um, let's just go like very service level and, 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 oh, let's, let's, uh, show how to launch on, uh, you know, on our, or how to uh, dive in and launch on, on a certain particular platform or use a framework or whatever, right? We're actually going to have a project that we're going to dive into and spend weeks at a time on these projects so we can go from, start to finish and really fulfilling and, and providing as much value as we can um, and, and, and um, you know, creating some cool stuff. So we'll get more into what the first project will be. Actually, next week on Thursday is when we're going to start this. Um, I believe 1 p.m. Central time. Is that what we chose, right, Anthony? Um, it is at a... Oh yeah, one to yeah one central. one central will be so, so eleven two two eastern. Yep, and eleven um eleven eleven, 11 San Pacific. Francisco time, yeah. as Ishan would say. Right. <laughs> yes. So we're gonna be doing that. Um it's gonna be fun. Join us live, make comments, make fun of us. It's gonna be a good time. Like seriously. Uh, ask good questions. You know, because like the more you guys bring to the table for us, the more we'll be like, oh, you know what? Yeah, that's actually a great thing we should probably be doing or talking about or or whatever, you know. Um, so feel free to join us. But well, like I said, you guys can be involved in this, in the, in the decision-making process of, of what this is going to be. Here's the thing. All right. So we created a poll on Twitter. Um, Anthony, would you mind sharing that up there? Um, and so, It's already shared. It's already up there. Awesome. So go look at the jumbotron up top there <laughs> if you slide back and forth you'll see 
Um, the second one's right there, and it says, what name do you like best for our new live stream coding series? Keep in mind that the choice two is supposed to say Anthony and Scott's web dev adventure. Couldn't fit it all. Wouldn't allow that many characters. So um, keep that in mind. Go vote. Click on that. Vote on there. Tell us what you like best. Um, we can't see who voted for what, so it doesn't matter, but just uh, pick what you think is best, and we'll, we'll go from there. And we're going to um, have the results here coming, and I think six days is when it ends, five days. And yeah, and then that's what we're going to name it, and we're going to have some fun with it. So thank you all so much for that, joining in on that. And don't forget, we do have some awesome events that we're going to be collaborating on. I kind of mentioned it last week and the week before. Um, but the one most recently coming up here is React Miami. We're collaborating with them and doing some awesome stuff. Um, we're actually going to be doing like a live podcast right there and um, collaborating with them with some speakers and doing a panel while we're there, which is really exciting. Um, so we're, we're happy to be at React Miami coming up here um, in April. And there's going to be some cool things since we are doing this like little collaboration with them. Um, we are going to be doing a giveaway and uh, I'm going to give more details on that soon when we have uh, we're going to have some of the speakers from there kind of talk and just go over some good topics. And, you know, just like we normally do when we have a guest, just have some fun. And then, um, you know, we'll be doing a giveaway and some other things. So really excited. Don't forget to, you know, keep coming back and sticking around because we got some cool things coming up in the future. Uh, we're also uh, collaborating with Remix, uh, um, which is really fun. We're going to be there doing stuff, very similar stuff with them. Um, and then the other thing would be uh, NGConf, which is an Angular focused uh, event and doing that as well so more to it more coming keep hanging on we love y'all don't forget to get to subscribe so if you want to know you know <laughs> when these things are happening and who we're going to be having on and the events we're going to be at and all that good stuff and you want to be involved um you know go to javascriptjam.com like Yishan said and subscribe all right that's it let's get started love y'all here we go yeah thank you scott um really excited for all that especially the the collaboration with those developer conferences um but you know in the newsletter that went out this week i think anthony you know you you had the first thing that was in the newsletter which we have up at the jumbotron was this is front-end development over uh there's an article from josh you know saying is, is chat gpt gonna gonna take our jobs um i think everyone in every industry is asking that um, and he had a really good argument for it. I had a couple thoughts myself. Um, and I just say before, you know, Anthony and I jump into it, um, and Scott, you know, I'm sure, you know, there's folks in the audience who have thoughts on, you know, this topic. It, it hits very core. So feel free to raise your hand. We'd love to have folks come up and it's not just us talking about it. I'd like to know, like, how many people here think, yes, this is, this is going to, you know, take my job, this is going to change my job, or I don't know yet. I'm still wrapping my head around it. I'll also be curious if there's people out there who are already using ChatGPT in their workflows in some respect, kind of like how you're doing that and what you feel like it's been useful or not useful for. Yeah, we had somebody in a past episode, I don't remember which one it was, who uh, was using GitHub Copilot. And he said, I think it's how we're going to all code in the future. If you're not using it, you need to be using it. Um, uh, I have to remember which episode that was. I'll maybe go through and take a look. Um, but but yeah, either ChatGPT or or you know uh, Copilot or any similar tool. Um, definitely feel free to 
to share what you think and raise your hand. Um, and we're happy to, to bring you up or request to speak, I guess, is the, the right thing. Um, so, Anthony, I had a couple thoughts of my own, but I'm curious what you thought reading Josh's article. Did you agree? So his thesis, if you haven't read it, and again, it's in our newsletter, you can go to uh, javascriptgym.com and, and go to the newsletter archive and while you're there, subscribe. But it's the first article there. And his basic case is, you know, you should still learn front-end development. It's not going to take all the front-end development jobs. Uh, if I was to, you know, summarize it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, this is, I think, for for me, I'm a very much a fan of the AI as augmentation, not replacement. I think that AI is not going to take your job, but someone using AI might take your job. Like a, a junior dev plus AI might potentially take a senior dev minus AI's job. So I think that it's actually important that we pay attention to these tools and we learn how to use them. And we don't just like poo-poo them as like, the new hotness like i think this is actually like a fundamental sea change in a lot of workflows both development and non-development and the more you can kind of lean into it the more benefit you can get from it yeah i, I mean i've i've heard that um basically it's not going to replace your job but somebody else with it will um i you know i would say that was my default position um but I, I'm not sure I'm as sanguine. I'm, I'm happy to actually take for the purposes of discussion because, you know, I go back and forth. There's a couple things that give me pause. Like, I wouldn't say you shouldn't learn web development because of, you know, AI. But I think if you're getting into it because you have an interest and you enjoy it, then you should still do it. Um, if you're getting into it because you know, for other reasons that do not include that, that might be a reason to give you pause. You might actually get, you might be happier and you might be able to abstract away what you think you need the coding for in the future by leveraging, you know, some form of intelligent no-code tool. Um, I was listening to, a, you know, uh, uh interview uh, Lex Friedman did with Sam Altman, the the creator of OpenAI. That was a really and, good interview. I'll pin that up top. Yeah, it was a good interview. Actually, I'll say the best interview I've seen so far is um, the one that uh, Hinton did with, I think it was like CBS This Morning. And it is both remarkably insightful and accessible to almost anybody. I was really impressed uh, with that interview. And for people um, who don't know, Jeffrey Hinton was one of the original pioneers of deep learning, which is kind of the underlying tech of chat GPT. Chat GPT is like deep learning plus large language models. And he was working on deep learning in like the eighties. Yeah. And people said in the interview, he's like, when I started doing this, people said that'll never work. Yeah. Um, he was considered then, a joke. Like people yeah. like made fun of him at the time. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. He got this grant to go to Canada and they're like, we don't think you should, this is not the right way to pursue, but if you're going to hire somebody who's going down this road, this is the guy you want to hire. And that's why they, they got him into the university they did. But, um, but yeah, so that interview, which, excuse me, um, I, I'll have to try and find it and we can pin it up as well. I thought that was actually one of the best interviews I've seen. Yeah, I've got them both. Okay, great. Um, so, you know, there's a couple things you know, Sam Altman said, but one of them is like, hopefully this AI will let us all pursue whatever get makes us happy. 
And that might actually truly be the end state. Um, another thing he said, which is, I think, to Josh's point, was like, if people realize that they can get 10 times the amount of software from the same amount of developers, or they can get the same amount of software for a tenth the cost, they'll probably pick the former. They'd rather get 10 times the amount of software. Um, but it's a good question um, whether they actually, that, that, that to me is actually the crux of the matter. Um, and there's this economic paradox called Jevons paradox, which is sometimes when you make something more efficient, you increase the demand for it, right? So if you make fuel efficient cars, uh, you might actually drive up the demand for, for oil or gas, uh, because now people can get more done with it. And so they start to use more of it. Um, so there's a, uh, there's, we should link to the Wikipedia article for, for Jevons paradox. And the, the crux of the matter is really like, what is the elasticity of demand from an economics perspective for software development? And it seems like, you know, if people could, there, there's still a huge amount of untapped demand for software. Um, and so people will, if they can get more software cheaper, it's like, you know, if you drive down the cost of, you know, gas, suddenly people drive more, they take longer drives, it's now cheaper. Um, and so it, it could very much turn out to be like that. Um, so I, I guess I'm very much, I have to say, uh, like kind of on the fence. Um, I think the argument makes a lot of sense, but to me, it just rests on what that elasticity is. But I was reminded that, you know, I, I correct me if I'm wrong, my recollection is that when Tim Berners-Lee came out with the web, right, his intention was not that you should be coding websites by hand, right? It was, there'd be some kind of word processor thing. Um, so almost from Dreamweaver. the beginning. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and Josh makes this good point, like, he shows the first thing that was kind of similar to Dreamweaver, forgotten the name, but those didn't put web developers out of work. But I do think this is a little fundamentally different. I think, I think the best way to say it is like the type of work you do is going to change um, and how you relate to that work. Um, Josh has another really good example in there about digital photographers. And he says, you know, digital cameras and you know uh camera phones didn't put digital photographers out of business uh, according to the stats he cites the number of photographers is going to increase according yeah, to turned everyone group. into a photographer it turned everyone into a photographer. what it really did is uh it opened up more opportunities for more people to pursue and so i think that same thing might happen for our development you will have more developers entering the workforce our definition of what a developer might be uh, may change uh, for what they do. But I do think there's also a flip side to that, which is, you know, I think the amount of skill needed to stand out may increase. So certain things that, you know, you you might have had maybe a junior dev or a senior dev do, now now maybe you can turn out to a, to a large language model. And I think another one is that, um, you know, the amount of, uh, income that photographers can demand for the same salary may also be affected. Um, and I think the same thing could happen in, in software. Um, so it's kind of like, it's not a doomsday. There's a great, um, I forgot where I read this, but it was about forecasting and making predictions. And they said, do a worst case, do a best case, and then stop, and then do a weird case. 
And it's because that's usually what happens. It's usually not the worst case or the best case. It's something weird has happened. And I think it's going to be in that weird bucket if I was to describe it. Um, so anyways, I'll pause there since I've been talking for a while. Again, if anybody has thoughts on whether ChatGPT and Copilot are going to, how they're going to change your job, or even if I'm not concerned or I am concerned, would love to have people come to the stage, raise your hand, or request to speak. Um, Scott or Anthony, I don't know if you had any other thoughts after yeah, reading just, the article. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, just real quick, and then I'd be curious to get Scott's thoughts. You, you mentioned, you know, the weirdness. There's actually a great article by Venkatesh Rao, The Great Weirding, where he talks about how just, like, the world itself is getting exponentially weirder all the time. And to me, like, GPT is, like, such a, a good example of that. Like, it's a very weird thing to work with. And, like, until you've actually done it like I think it's hard to uh, appreciate like I've had like long philosophical discussions with chat GPT and it's, it's it's really fascinating so it's like I highly encourage people it's like try it for work try it for fun try asking it the weirdest questions you could possibly think of and just like see what it says and it might surprise you I also pinned a tweet from uh Fred K shot uh creator of Astro he had a, a great comment which is we're seeing a lot of these things right now where you like kind of take like a whole project's docs and like digest it into one of these language models and then you can like ask questions of it. There are a lot of limitations to this because it will kind of like hallucinate things. And I, I saw one example where someone was like, hey, I was looking at the Astro docs and I asked Houston this question and said I should be using like the hydrate function. And Dan Jutan is like, oh no, that, that function doesn't exist actually. So there's still a lot of limitations to it in that respect, but he had an interesting idea, which is instead of like just ask questions, what if you could have some sort of like onboarding experience where it could like walk you through a code base and show you kind of the most important things that you need to know to get started. So I think like these kind of more personalized like chatbot like experiences where you could like talk to it almost like it's someone kind of walking you through something and like using it as a, as a teacher. I think that's going to be a really powerful use case. Yeah. We should just let the audience know what Houston is, which is uh, a chatbot the Astro team built that you can ask questions for, you know, the documentation for Astro without going through the docs. Um, and Josh actually alluded to this use case. Like it, it'll eventually be more than just a better search of the docs. It may actually be a tutor. Um, which I think is a really valuable, like, exercise. Like, there's this common thing in, like, you know, people talk about product development and innovation. And it's one of my favorite analogies, which is the, when they first came out with the video camera or the movie camera, what they did is they stuck it in front, they put it on a tripod and they stuck it in front of a stage play. And the first movies were just stage plays. And it took them a surprisingly amount of time to realize, oh, we can take this camera and we can move it. And we can put it inside the middle of like the action, and you can even and we can make you know. cuts so it looks like you're seeing one thing and then you're seeing another. Yes, um, very much. Yeah, exactly. And so every innovation gets reimagined through you know the lens of the present, and it's like, what does this really look like in the future? Is is kind of really hard to to ascertain. Um, there was another example actually he gave, which was the Disney animator. Uh, watching an AI system for creating animation and actually reminded me of, I don't know if you've seen this movie, it's on Disney Plus. It's a 
uh, series. It's called Light and Magic, and it's about the history of ILM, the company that George Lucas created after he first did the Star Wars movie to do all the special effects, and now you know some large percentage of Hollywood movies use it. But what's really fascinating is you know in the early days they're doing all this with models, and I don't remember which episode. It might be the second or third episode in the series. Like suddenly the people who are doing computer graphics are like you know they're like oh that seems crazy that'll never work maybe we can use it for one scene or not and then there's the jurassic park moment where somebody like no i can make this work i can get a dinosaur and it's going to look real and they have this screening of it internally and suddenly everyone like the guys who build the models physically are like are we out of a job like do we have to go and retrain and some actually like had to change what they did and some of them made that transition and some of them didn't so it's like the work you do may change. And some of those folks, you know, who were physical models made the transition to the doing, you know, the modeling inside the computer. Um, but for others, you know, you could see the sort of wistful remembrance of what it was like before. Um, so again, it's like expect change, um, but there'll still be a role where you take the same or similar domain knowledge, but how you do it is going to be different. I think, um, you know, when you talk about like an AI with a developer, I think of that, you know, animator, you know, no longer you know, manipulating puppets or physical models and or you know, drawing on a piece of paper. But now they're doing the same type of things, but they're doing it in a computer and they've got something augmenting them. That to me is like the closest mirror to what the future might look like. But you, Scott, have you been using ChatGPT? Yeah, uh, man, <clears throat> ChatGPT has made my job um that much more awesome honestly <laughs> i mean um way more doper uh way more doper <laughs> for sure because i tell you what like no seriously i'm like uh, i don't know uh fine example here <clears throat> this is something i do i mean i literally use it at least probably once or twice a day and uh maybe more especially if i'm working on something like a decent sized project or something and so like, for example, if I'm going to send um, an email to somebody, right, uh, I'll even take it and just be like, you know what, I think this is a great email I just wrote, right? But I'm going to take that email, and I'm going to throw it in here, I'm going to say, hey, chat GPT, please take this, and I may give it some more context of what I'm trying to get at, right? And I'll just say, okay, now take this following uh, email and rewrite it in a way that is... Make it know, sound more British. More whatever, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and then I'll be like, oh, you know, or maybe if I, and then I click it and I forgot to like include something, then I'll ask it to that. Anyway, and sometimes I'll write an email out and maybe it's just way too long. And I'm like, you know what, chat GPT, can you like summarize this for me? Right. Um, and all that stuff. So I just, and man, it does such a good job. <laughs> it's beyond amazing uh, what this thing can do. And um, I mean, all, all kinds of stuff that, that I've been doing with it. Um, and, and I'm really excited just to continue doing better at my job because chat GPT is helping me be more effective, efficient, everything. Right. Um, you know, even, even asking it for some ideas for certain things and, and then kind of maybe building off of that myself, you know, and then, or building it together with chat GPT, like going back and forth, you know, having these conversations like Anthony was talking about, um, you know, back and forth. It's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, the, the things they can do now, obviously, you know, you, you want, um, you know, original work, right? And so, you know, that's the other thing is uh, just using it for certain things that are not necessarily, um, you know, like emails and stuff. I mean, that's not like that 
big of a deal. So anyway, I love it. And I think it's great. And uh, excited to, I mean, every day I just think of like new ideas. Now, if I could like code, like <laughs> if I could be, if I knew more code than, than I do now, uh, it could be dangerous because I have so many ideas and I'm sure so many other people have ideas too, but it's about taking the time to actually implement those ideas and put them into action. We should use it in our new series where we build Dude, site. if we did that, I, I get to build the we front would, end. <laughs> we would have like 20 things going at once on GitHub, <laughs> 20 different repos. It would be insane. But yeah, uh, I think we should, we'll definitely do something. I mean, it's not it. an adventure without without ChatGPT. We'll definitely do, we'll bring it in there and, and we'll, we'll work it in. It'll be a collab with ChatGPT. <laughs> <laughs> Guest starring. Guest Chat starring. ChatGPT, welcome. <laughs> you I think... Reed Hoffman did a a podcast where he interviewed, I think, ChatGPT, and they had some animated thing. Oh, dude, uh, Tyler Cowen just had a great one. <laughs> I haven't listened to it yet, but he mentioned it on another interview, so I knew it was upcoming. He interviewed Jonathan Swift through the uh-huh. through ChatGPT, you know, the author of you know Gulliver's Travels, like you know, 18th century huh. uh, author. So, he, and he he said the answers were like really interesting. He actually felt like he was interviewing Jonathan Swift, is what he said. And I think that's incredible. That's yeah, awesome. it is. This is you know a little off topic, but the other day I was thinking about like, you know, you we have all this digital data about ourselves. So there's a scam that's been going around where where people take your voice if you've you know I, somebody might harness all our, our episodes like that i'm um, your ceo scam yeah exactly and they'll go they'll call people up and they'll say you know hey i'm your your son or relative and i need money i need you to wire it to this you know account asap so i can i can get out of jail or stuff like that and it, it sounds like them like this is a, a classic thing but now it's like literally their voice and um you know that's that's horrible, but like you know, go through the looking glass of the other side of the double-edged sword, and you could imagine, you know, if if you lose someone, you could take all their like you know Facebook video, you know, all their whole life history, right? And you could put it. I think into this was a Black Mirror episode. Oh, was it? Yeah, sure. I'm sure it's it's. Yeah, like, I've seen this. Be I've like, seen this before in some sort of sci-fi scenario. There, yeah, exactly. Where there was an Outer Limits episode, I remember that was a minor point where he was living in a post-apocalyptic scenario. But and at the beginning, you see him talking to all these people in the house, and then you find out like a few minutes later that they're all holograms. Like his family isn't there. It's it's him just living with simulants of, of 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 his family. But it's like you know that might you know give people comfort. Um, Obi one. So it's like every you're our yeah. only hope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The so, ethics of this are are pretty crazy because it's oh, like what if you did it for someone who's not dead yet? <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, but getting back to to development, um, I'm I'm curious. You know, your thoughts regarding the use of it and its accuracy. So one of the things that, you know, Josh pointed out is they're not very accurate. You, you mentioned, you know, it's tendency to what people call hallucinate. Um, and so there's a concern that, you know, you still need to check the code. It's not always right. Like it said, call the render function, which doesn't exist. Uh, but, you know, I think at some point these things will be hooked up to things that they can evaluate the output and then they can, 
they can debug it themselves and say, oh, yeah. this is not right. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think a more important question is how does it compare to humans? Because there's a there's an assumption baked in here, which is that humans are correct 100% of the time, which yes. I think we all know is not the case. <laughs> so yes. it's like, you know, com- like it hallucinates compared to what, you know? So I think humans can give incorrect answers also. So we have this idea that like, because the AI gives incorrect answers, we can't ever use it because we need humans to check. It's like, well, are humans correct all the time? No. So I think it's about how does it get compare to a human operator? And if it's correct more often than a human, then even if it's hallucinating, you know, 1% of the time, you know, a human might be wrong 10% of the time, you know, and it all depends on the human. Yeah, it, but it... Go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say, it could, it could make a detrimental like small and you maybe you just overlook it you know and there's an error and it's like so big though that it just like messes everything up you know that's the same with a human though is, is what i'm saying yeah we can also make that mistake true yeah how many times does a human knock down production you know <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um you know there's an interesting thing in um in that interview with jeffrey hinton and he he points out like Part of this is what you know we call hallucination is really it's been trained on like as a, a single person, you have an internally consistent worldview, right? And it's been trained on the worldviews of like millions of people, right, as expressed through language. So it's kind of like when it hallucinates, it's like and you prompt engineering, you're trying to find that that right person inside its latent space that you're getting to express that personality out. Yeah, I think um, in the Astro yeah. example, like it was looking for a function that exists like in React, but not in Astro. It was something like that. So it's like, this is a function out there in the world, but it doesn't actually work with this one thing because the, the fine tuning is not exact enough to say, we're only going to give answers that are functions that exist within the Astro project. It's you know pulling from the space of everything and we fine tuned it but we can't say only give answers from this fine-tuned set yet because you don't have the ability to tune the knobs well enough to do that yes. yet. And as we're yeah. like giving developers more insight into how these models work and the ability to fine-tune them in a way where you can make the accuracy more important, that's where we need to go with these tools. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it goes to something that, you know, in that interview Hinton talked to, alluded to, which is... The models have been trained on, or ChatGPT, right, has been trained on, you give it a, a question, it responds, and then it gets evaluated by a human as to, you know, whether it accurately responded, and then that's the reinforcement learning, and before that, it was just tuned to complete sentences. And those people were probably not developers who were fine. They were not, it. they were not developers. It's and it people was, from a third world country, I think, actually. Yeah, there was an article on, on the i forgot the organization that they used for this but it when you think about it what it's been tuned and trained to do is to make a human happy with the response it hasn't been tuned to be accurate it hasn't been tuned to be um you know uh it's it might be tuned to fool you right it might be tuned uh, the ai system in the future may actually give you the wrong answer because it thinks it's the answer you want and it's the answer the human raiders all said yes to, which is a interesting dimension to, to think about. Yeah, <laughs> that's creepy to me. <laughs> it's like then I just think it's like lying to everybody, you know, like 
is like creating quarrels in the community and like well yeah but you you well it's it's doing because in a sense we asked it to yeah um so you know in some sense that could be fixed like if we could decide on what correct means sometimes for programs it's easier than it is for other topics um we might be able to tune it better but i think you know it'll probably get better i think I mean, it's, it's undoubtedly yeah. going to get better. It can't really get yes. worse at this point. So that's another thing. It's like people talk about the limitations of these models, and it's like those are limitations right now, and they're already like leaps and bounds getting better every month. You know, like it used to be if you tried to ask it to do math, it would get all confused. And it would just throw random gibberish at you. But it's now able to do that. Like we now have computers that can do math. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> <laughs> Calculate what? So, um, what would you advise to answer the person who, the hypothetical person who asked the question to, to Josh Bino's article? Like, should I not learn front end development? Um, you know, I guess your answer is yes, but the question might be like, how would you prepare for this future? I, mean, I a, think a thought, yeah. there's, I think the, the answer that is quite obvious from that article is that there's still plenty of reason to learn front end dev because the skill set that goes along with that is about being able to understand like needs of the user and accessibility and the kind of higher level stuff that like you can spit out all this code, but there's, there's a human aspect to front end, to any kind of development, but especially front end development that is going to still be valuable. So yeah. you you come down quite strongly on if the answer is yes, still value yeah. for learning it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, still play value I mean, for I, learning it for sure. I also compare it to like, <clears throat> um, you know, learning a new framework. I mean, the 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 coding world, the web development world, that you know, is is constantly, um, you know, changing, right? And there's always. A, a new <laughs> there have been 10 frameworks since right since it was trained in 2021 yeah exactly and, and so it's like that's how we're gonna that's true we can't even know quick like it's data doesn't even go that far <laughs> exactly <laughs> um and i'm sure well you know they'll catch it up to where it, it maybe it can start learning immediately you know from from just yeah. well apparently bing can because it can reach out to the internet right that's true so whatever's on the internet is yeah so there you go. But um, I'm just saying from a perspective of like a person, it's like, um, you know, learning, still still wanting to learn front, front end development. Yeah, I mean, why not? Because, um, you know, it's just it's just another it's just another tool, another thing. Uh, you know, granted, it's, it's I don't know, would you call it smart, but uh, it's very intuitive. And um, it's only going to help you to better do these things, right? Um, and I, I think it's it's hard to take away from the the, the creativity. I mean, it, it could be pretty creative, but <laughs> um, there's just certain things that I feel like a human can do. Um, and maybe maybe I'm not putting enough facts out there, and this is just my opinion, but I feel like humans are are still pretty darn creative and could come up with some things that we're still at the top of the food chain yeah that chat gpt oh. can i guess you know but so I uh, you know i i very much want to hear from the audience um i i, Same. I kind of disagree 
Um, though, like, so yeah, definitely encourage folks to come to the stage Request. and tell us come what up. you think about uh, ChatGPT and how you think it'll influence web development. But I, I go back to the first answer I gave, which was, it depends why you're learning it. If you're learning it because you find the topic interesting and exciting, or you find the technology interesting and cool. Um, but if your goal was, I needed to get something done, um, maybe not. So if you're, say, a backend developer, right? And you're like, well, I just need a front end for this. Well, this is like, you, you even before ChatGPT, I would have told you, well, just grab a template, right? And just plug in your data into, you know, this framework and, and you should be done. Um, ChatGPT just might help you, you know, get further along without having to learn it. Um, so I, I kind of like almost pretend it doesn't exist and just focus on the intrinsic motivation for why you want to learn front end. That would be my answer, at least. Yeah, but then okay. another thing I think about yeah, too, though, is like, okay, so what about, okay, that's like saying, um, all right, learn, learn vanilla JavaScript, because you need to know these, these, you know, basic things and components and all this stuff, versus going and learning like uh, a framework, right? Um, and so it's kind of Ooh, a similar interesting thing. analogy. It's like, yeah. okay, go use ChatGPT because now you don't have to figure out how to do all this other stuff. And now you don't know the bones of things. You know, there's always that argument. But then there's also people who say, well, who cares about vanilla JavaScript? Because uh, really everything's in React anyway or whatever. Right? And so you, you don't really actually need it to do your job. Or, um, But yeah, I mean, if you truly want to be creative, maybe you do need to know you know, some vanilla, but anyway, I don't know, you know, there's no, a that's a great analogy. Points. There's, there's a certain point where you will have to, you know, pierce the abstraction layer of what you're using. I used to think it didn't make sense to learn react before you learned vanilla, but I'm, I'm not so sure because I think people learn in different ways. Um, I personally like feel very uncomfortable when there's magic so to speak. Like, I want to know how the thing works. I want to have a mental model for it. I mean, but there, there are plenty of people who, who like to, I want to have something done and then I'll dig into how the model works, but I just want to get a goal accomplished. And so for those folks, it actually might make sense, like start coding with React and then worry about the fundamentals um, and where those, those points when you get to the debugging. Um, yeah. I mean, like, throwing out. same thing, like, you know, like <laughs> you use TypeScript now, it's, it's so widely used uh, before it wasn't, and now it's it's very much. Um, Theo's here. I'm sure he can talk about that quite a bit. Um, <laughs> and I just think that um, it's it's crazy. Like you know, you the the amount of things you can do with with TypeScript, and not even have to type a single load of not even have to type a single line of code essentially when you're just calling all these different uh, functions and, and features. And stuff. So, yeah, it's interesting. Just Patrick, is this a real person? You have a somewhat web Debbie kind of profile. What's up? Yes, yes, it's a real person. Uh, awesome. What's up, man? Uh, yeah, what's up? Uh, so I just wanted to uh, give my opinion on the chat GPT stuff. Yeah, thanks for joining. Feel free to let us know what your thoughts are. Okay, okay. So, uh, in terms, I've been using it for a couple of months, 
And in terms of replacing anyone, as you as you as you as you have discussed, I don't think it's going to replace anyone, because um, mainly because of the intricacies that are there when you're creating something. Even for the example that uh, they showed uh, during the demo, where it took a screenshot and then it wrote the code for that. But imagine taking that a code that was generated, that simple website for jokes, and making it into an actual product. Uh, refining uh, the requirements and so on. Uh, I don't think it will ever reach a point where it will produce, as you as we have said, it's just like a human. It will be error prone, and when and for a human, it's easier to tell them fix this, fix that, and so on. But for for the but but for ChatGPT and this AI things, I I, I don't know. I don't think it can really. Uh, be refined as much as you can do uh, for a human. And and for the learning, uh, you'll still need to learn uh, a lot of this technology because when it makes a mistake, at least in its current state, you need you you still need to go down and, and try and figure out what the issue is because most of the time it doesn't detect it. Yeah. That's a good question, actually. Like, has anybody ever used ChatGBT to debug something? something that it made or something that you made that's an interesting one i mean I, I found it useful for like if i get an error message that i don't quite understand i can ask it questions to be like what does this term mean and like like especially if like typescript stuff i found that it does really good for that just like asking it questions to get a better understanding of what's happening there's i'm pretty sure i've seen an example where somebody gave it code and asked it why it was wrong um, I remember in the demo uh, that OpenAI released, there's it asks it to do taxes, and it says, you know, here's my situation, and it parses the natural language rules that are embedded in the tax code it gives it, and figures out correctly uh, what the right answer is. Um, this is also where it's very useful to be coding a language like JavaScript, where it has a lot of training data on. If you're using some obscure programming language and there's not a lot of data, if you ask you questions, it probably True. wouldn't know what to do. I have heard that as well. There are people who like it does better in certain languages than others. Um, like does better in English, that's for sure. I mean, there's an interesting question though that I think you know, and just Patrick raised, which is, you know, will it ever get to the point where it can do the whole product? And I hear the the reasons and the arguments, but. Like my intuition is like, I don't know. It's this thing is getting really like it may not get to a consumer product, but it could get to a, you know, internal B to you know, B to E business to employee internal tool. Um, you know, good enough where I mean some people think it's gonna matter. literally enslave humanity. So if it can do that, it could probably write a website. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That would be <laughs> yeah, I think, I think uh, and, and there's another way to approach this. I think it can reach to a point where it builds a full product, but not where it's reliant on code, but where it's just connecting um, components. Like, for example, the way in no code, you just drag and drop stuff, and I'm seeing a lot of software integrating it into, like, for example, Spline, they integrated, I saw they've just integrated it into their software, and it's just uh, connecting the components uh, together. And those components are already like well-tested and all. So I think if someone was to come up with a product where the components are there and uh, the AI is just there to just connect them and build the product, I think, I think 
in that case, it would be able to build a full product. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like that, drag and drop. Analogy, yeah. It's almost like drag and drop, but more like pull and play. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When it comes to the larger part of product, I mean, the example that comes to mind that I thought was illustrative was, um, I forgot who did this, but he, he basically told ChatGPT, okay, come up with a plan to make as much money as possible and I will do it. You've got a hundred dollars. And it's like, yeah, okay, I saw here, that. It's, yeah. it's interesting. He's getting a bunch of money just from people investing in the company, which I feel like is kind of cheating. It is. He's kind of getting through the, like he should have done like a clean experiment that isn't contaminated obviously would have been, but like the ideas it was giving, you know, seemed at least reasonable enough that it's like, okay, here's a couple markets. Here's the domain name. You know, those are, you know, somewhat product level decisions. It, it could be, we takes multiple of these large language models put together tuned for different tasks, but uh, I don't know. I'm, I, I do feel like it's conceivable um, that it could actually go the whole way and we'd just be telling it what to do differently. Um, so, uh, but thanks for, for coming up and giving your thoughts. Um, if there's anyone else, please raise your hand. Um, otherwise maybe we should move on to some of the other stuff that was in the newsletter, like the new react docs and then how to start a, a react project in 2023, which I know is probably top of mind. I know Theo, I see him in the audience. Maybe we should go to that, like the best way to start a, a react project. Yeah. In I mean, we should yeah. talk about the react docs being released at all i'm gonna go ahead and pin that up as well i mean this is something that is such a long time coming you yeah. know people have been saying forever that the react docs are a little bit out of date i mean when i was in my <laughs> boot camp i was in my boot camp in 2020 and we were already learning hooks at that point and so it's like we've been teaching this way of using react for at least three years and it's just this last week that the docs have caught up with that, which I think is kind of egregious, but um, at least we're here now. Yeah, Dan Abramov was uh, chatting quite a bit on it. Speaking of Dan, real quick, uh, he he was also saying how he wishes that, like, kind of hindsight, twenty twenty, whatever. He wishes he would have gotten more into AI, like back in the in the day. Which well, he was saying if you're a new, if you're someone getting into, like, he, he said that if you're someone who is getting into coding right now, you should drop everything you're doing and studying AI. And that, right. I said that. I think this is great advice. And it was even better advice five years ago. But it's like <laughs> planting a tree. Best time right. was Do it now. <laughs> yesterday. Second best right. time is today kind of thing. Right. Yep. Yeah, I saw that tweet. I, I, uh, I mean, maybe that the answer is if you want to learn front-end deve development, in parallel, learn learn large language models and um, you know how how transformers work um, at the same time. Um, yeah, it was that was really interesting to hear from somebody. You know, one of the things I like about Dan is his approachability. Um, he has another great article I've referenced multiple times. It's like things I do not know, and he's like people talk to me and they think because I know I'm an expert at React, they think I know all these other things. And he talks about like Kubernetes and he's like I. I've never used these technologies, but people seem to have conversations with me. And I think, especially when beginners come to, you know, the tech ecosystem, there's so many words and concepts. It can be hard to, it can feel inundating and it's a little comforting, you know, to have somebody like him say, Hey, look, I can be an expert in this area, but I don't have to know all these other things. Um, and I could definitely, you know, empathize with the, you know, what he had, he had expressed there. 
definitely looks like very exciting technology. Um, uh, but getting back to the React docs, um, the what's interesting for me personally, and I think a lot of our team here at Edgeo is when we rebuilt our developer documentation for for our platform. We originally it was a, a simple Next.js application. Um, and then at one point we said, well, we need, want to upgrade the developer documentation. By the way, our developer documentation is a Next app that runs on the Edgeo platform. Um, and somebody said, well, why don't we just use the React beta docs as, as the best you know, kind of template example? So we actually took a lot of inspiration um, from the beta React docs in how we do our documentation and used it to mirror uh, as best practice. So if you go to like docs.ebg.io, it's actually a fork of the React documentation, and our our documentation is open source. So you know we have a GitHub repo. We've had customers come and and do pull requests against it. Um, and you know from my perspective, it was like good enough to ship. But I know the React team has a very high bar, especially given how big their ecosystem is. So uh, I know it's taken a while, but just congrats off to them for for shipping it. Um, maybe that takes us to the best way to start a project. Um, because one of the things that the beta React docs tell you, like the old docs was like, use create React app. And now there's a variety of other options. Do you want to like walk us through, you know, Robin had a great article that you linked to Anthony and maybe get set the context. For, yeah, so let's talk know, about what, the, were there. Okay, what the docs are recommending. So if you go to, there's start a new React project. This is one of the very top line pages on the new React docs. And it starts with, production grade react frameworks and then next.js and i think that this is both the correct thing to put and something that caused quite a bit of a stir and i kind of understand why that is because this feeds into that like paranoia that everyone has that Vercel is like stealing react out from under everybody and kind of like making next the only way to use react and i think this is this this fear, I I understand where it's coming Wait, from. Wait, can it's... I can I interrupt you? While we've yeah, got go here, it. I know he usually has to jump to to his yeah, stream. Yeah, he's streaming like five minutes, so I, I wouldn't yeah, expect him to I'm just up. curious, does, are we going to get, or is he trying to get Create T3 app into the React beta doc, I, the new React I app? wouldn't expect it to get it. I think, you know, if you want to include that, then you should also include things like Redwood. So I'm not, they don't seem super open to adding in additional frameworks as well that point. was my next question i was going to go to you just know you're going to be here but like from you and theo is other frameworks you know it's got a few there like why not uh, it looks, these like, looks like we did get theo up here but yeah i mean i i tweeted at dan he didn't respond i'm, I'm not expecting any anything to come of it just wanted to formally say that if the react docs were to add create t3 app i'd probably be more upset than interested oh that's expand spicy. on that yeah the role of create T3 app is to have opinions beyond what React does. The role of the React docs is to teach React in the most unopinionated way it can. It's just directly contradicting. The reason that the next recommendation makes sense is the overlap between Next's opinions and React's opinions, especially as they converge more and more, and how Next has thrown away most of its framework in order to better shape itself around the new ideas of React. T or create T3 app's goal is explicitly to ignore the recommendations in order to do the best thing for developers. So it's just like the goals aren't aligned. It doesn't make sense to me. But it also includes things like Remix and Gatsby. So why should it include some frameworks and not others? Because Create T3 app isn't a framework. It's a set of opinions around an existing framework next. 
I would argue against Remix and Gatsby being included, but I get why they did it just to prevent community like out, like outrage over the next recommendation. I being that I would never be outraged about Create T3 app not being included. In fact, I'd be outraged about the opposite. I think it makes sense for us to not be included. For what it's worth, I'm actually a little upset about how much people have pushed on them not including Beat. I think it makes sense given, like I was the one who opened the PR to switch from Create React app to Beat. I think the decision to go with Next is the right one. I just didn't think they would take such a strong stance. It's also worth saying that they do mention beat but it's not a top line thing like the frameworks are you have to kind of dig in a bit to the next page which is add react to an existing project and then if you read in there you'll see where it recommends beat it's a little bit buried so theo is answer you know uh, I'll take you at face value but it reminds me of the the Groucho marks like I'll never join a club that that would accept me um or wouldn't accept me like um uh, but i respect the opinion so it's basically you feel like it's not aligned uh and that's why it doesn't make sense to for t3 app to be there i feel like it's just an explicit difference in goals that i am wholly disinterested in resolving like the role of what we're doing and the role of what the react docs are doing is fundamentally mm -hmm. different and that's fine I mean, in my opinion, the, the role of the React doc should be to educate people on React. If there's important React frameworks that people should know about, I think it makes sense to include all of them instead of some of them. But I, I see where you're coming from. I think that it would make sense for them to include it if they included your own kind of disclaimers along with it. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really up to the React team at this point. I yeah still feel like yeah, the, the role of create t3 app just comes later so much so that it doesn't like it depends on like are we treating the react docs as a reference or are we treating them as the way people get started because if the prior yeah it'd be nice to have a page somewhere that's like things people do when they want to do full stack backend heavy apps with react here are some things people use but even then eh, if it's the latter then well this comes back to education materials Robin's for new developers article. then we should stay far away from that because if anything i've encountered a problem where a lot of like very early career devs are are trying to learn how to program via create t3 app and like i almost wish i could put a disclaimer it's like if you've been programming for two years stay away please I definitely disagree with that, but this is um, something that we also links to Robin's article, How to Start a React Project in 2023, and this is where you can get more of this kind of context of what other frameworks are out there. I think he does a really good job of surveying the whole landscape, and he actually does mention Create T3 app in this article. I mean, I think that a very opinionated, I mean, whether creative app is opinionated or not is kind of a question of how you define the, the term opinionated but i think that it can be useful to begin developers because if you're going to ask them to build a full stack app then it makes sense to give them a framework or a, whatever you want to call it to make it simple so i think there is a lot of value actually to giving beginners this kind of tool if you are also going to ask them to build something that would require them to use a tool like that or to piece together their own stuff to eventually end up at that kind of tool. Hey, um, I'm just hopping on here to throw in my two cents. Um, so same. Yo. Uh, so I, I kind of get where both of you are coming from. Uh, I think there's a misconception though, as Theo's already kind of said, 
as to what the role of T3 is, because the, the way I see it, Next.js is mentioned in the React docs as, you know, one of the frameworks that they suggest to use. And that, I mean, really, that's what T3 uses is Next.js. So I don't see why they would need to essentially double mention Next in the docs by rebringing up T3. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm just curious about yeah, your that's a, thoughts that's on a that. Point. Uh, I, it's, a, yeah, it's like a, so... meta, a meta framework. <laughs> Ahead, it, it is a good point, but I, I think there's the like what happens in theory and what happens in practice. Like in practice, some people go to it as a reference, and some people go to it to learn, and some people go to it as a map of the ecosystem. And I think that that third place is a really important role. And it's like if it's not the React docs that tell you here are all the other things that integrate with this, right? Like you go to any. Any company SaaS product, they've got a page that's like integrations, right? What does that ecosystem around the product look like? Um, I think I think that's an important role. And if it's not the React docs that fill it, what what should? Imagine you don't know anything about React, which is hard for us to imagine because you know it's it's so omnipresent. But if you were like you would like if I told you about some other framework or some other technology, right? You'd go like, well, where do I go to? to learn not just about the details of how to use it, but what are the other things that work with it? Yeah, uh, I would, oh, I see I see Theo's hand up, Matt. Yeah, I, I see Theo's like He is going to say something similar to what I have to say. If I knew nothing about React, I would very, very much so not want to jump into T3. Uh, that even for like a, any new developer, I wouldn't say that's a good starting point um, for, for multiple reasons, personal reasons mostly, but um, yeah. Yeah, I I have like two thoughts on this. The first is for education materials. That's not the place where like like the more thorough, here are the things you'll use with React in four years. I don't think that necessarily belongs there. And on the other end, I don't necessarily think it's the role of React itself to to dictate what it does and doesn't endorse, so to speak. I know that there's been a lot of heat, even back in like the original React Router days, about whether or not the React docs should recommend React Router. And they've taken a pretty hard stance of not picking winners when they can avoid it. And that's actually a big part of why the, the next recommendation went over so poorly initially, was people felt like they were picking a winner. But in reality, it was the opposite. It's next picked the new React patterns as the winner and were willing to throw away so much of what they did to, to more directly align themselves with the direction of React. And I think that recommendation makes a lot of sense for that reason alone. And it's like I'm coming at this from the opposite angle of rather than like, why shouldn't they recommend these things? It's why should they? And all of the things recommended right now have a very obvious reason why they were recommended. And for recommendations that go beyond the scope of the React docs that are like the things you integrate with and stuff like that, I consider that the community's role and like the role of my YouTube channel. I don't necessarily think it's the role of the React docs to compete with my YouTube channel. I think it's to onboard people to it. I, yeah, I agree. The community has a, also, by the way. I, I guess I, I, you're right. It competes with the community. I still think they can provide ladders or jumping off points. So imagine you're not a developer, an individual contributor. You are an engineering manager. You do not actually know React. So, like, maybe to make this more concrete, like, suppose it's some other framework. Somebody says you need to consider. So, what are you going to go do? You're going to go to that website and you're going to say. Well, first of all, show me social proof. It's the same thing you ask for any product, right? Like who else uses this that I trust? 
right? And then what does that community look like? Like, I'd want to know where the the best tutorials, where are, you know, the other things that integrate with this? So imagine you're that person. How does that person, if they aren't going to the, like, you could argue it shouldn't be in the docs. The docs are just reference. You know, if I'm on Unix and I hit man, it doesn't tell me all the things that, that go in and out of pipes. When I do man awk, I just, I get the instructions for just awk. So maybe this is philosophical, but I think if you're looking at productizing the framework as a whole, like the jobs to be done and what can I accomplish with this, like those higher level questions and when you should and shouldn't use it are relevant. I think there's a good argument for having that in the documentation, but I don't know if like, there's no right answer here. I think this is philosophical. And that's the... Uh, uh... I think that this also is or signifies the problem that I have of like what happens to the one framework that doesn't get mentioned because Dan hasn't checked PRs for a few weeks and didn't merge it. And now there's this one good recommendation that somebody brings up on their team and their eng manager who knows no better than React has this page on their docs that says all the real things. They go to that page. The new thing isn't on that page. And now you're not allowed to use it because of it. I think it just makes sense for React that's... to say, no, fuck this. That's your problem. And on top of that, like it's our role as developers to know how to find, identify, and filter good and bad information. Continuing to to push back how long until you have to do that doesn't seem like a big value add to me. I'd almost always rather just lean into forcing developers to to learn how to find solutions to their problems earlier. And the role of the React docs is to smooth out the process of seeing code respond on the screen for the first time until you're there. I think the difference is you're coming at it from a developer. I'm coming at it from the perspective of I have a product and a product management and how do I make my product as consumable to the variety of different personas that are going to evaluate it at what like the CPG guys call it the moment of truth, right? When you pick up, you know, you're in the grocery store and you pick CPG, consumer packaged goods. I pick something up off the so shelf when you and they make a very up quick React decision. Or yeah. picking up the product you're building with React. When I say pick up, I mean like physically, it's at the very top of the awareness funnel, right? They are going to probably Google React, see the React docs, Right. This is like, what is the jobs to be done of the documentation? And you could say that's our role as developers, but you get a better conversion rate. You get better. And maybe it doesn't matter for React. Cause it's so yeah, big. that's the thing. But, but if, like, if the, I was the in charge of the were... product, I would say like, we should make things as easy for the potential prospect consumer of it as possible. The, the React docs were written presuming yeah. you've already decided to learn React. And I think that's a very, very fair presumption for them to make, given that if you're not picking React, you know, of a really good reason for why, you're fucking up. It's not the role of the React docs to convince us to use React anymore. We're already convinced. It's the role of the React docs to help us understand why, while also getting us excited as we learn the paradigms of the framework. Anything else is overreaching. Yeah, and, and as I said, I think it's a philosophical, like, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer here. Like, man, like, on Unix, takes the opinion you're taking. Like, it doesn't talk about its ecosystem. Here's exactly, you've decided to use awk. Here's what it can do. You decide whether it's useful for you or not. But there's so, another way of looking at it that's, yeah, go ahead, Scott. I was just going to say that um, I think there's another uh, thing in the room that wants to give an opinion. Uh, Chat GPT, I oh, asked yeah. it. Yeah, I asked ChatGPT. I said, <laughs> well, ChatGPT what is the Scott? job yeah. to be done of the documentation and should it mention other frameworks? And 
it said that, that the job to be done in the documentation is to provide clear, concise, and comprehensive information to help developers understand and use a specific tool, library, or framework effectively. Documentation serves as a reference and a learning resource, enabling developers to achieve their goals with technology. Wow, the primary focus... Dan, that's a good answer. Good job, ChatGPT. Well, wow. I want to hear the rest of it. While yeah. the primary focus of documentation should be on the specific tool, library, or framework it covers, mentioning other frameworks can be beneficial in certain situations. Number one... Comparison. Providing a comparison between the documented framework and other popular alternatives can help developers make informed decisions about which tool to choose for their project. This can be especially useful when the documented framework has unique features or benefits compared to its counterparts. Two, there's only three things here, by the way. Integration. <clears throat> if the documented framework is designed to work seamlessly with other frameworks or libraries, mentioning these integrations can be valuable. This information helps developers understand how to combine different technologies to create a comprehensive solution. And then thirdly, number three, migration. In cases where developers might be transitioning from another framework to one being documented, That's providing what we guidelines, about all. Like <laughs> the best migration. practices for migration can be helpful. This can make the transition smoother or more efficient, and it demonstrates the commitment to the framework's maintainers to supporting users who are switching from other tools. In general, mentioning other frameworks can add value to the documentation, but it's important to keep the focus on the primary framework being documented. The goal should be to help developers understand, use, and benefit from the specific tool, library, or framework in the best way possible. Thank you, ChatGPT. This has informed my previous stance of I don't really care about ChatGPT for like the advice and learning side because <laughs> it always just sounds like the YouTube comments I delete. <laughs> <laughs> like these well, like that's what it was five paragraph on. essays on like mediocre <laughs> advice. It's not even that it's wrong, it's just bland and useless. It was well. Theo, it was trained on all the YouTube comments to your videos. Um <laughs> yeah. they might have waited that one pretty hard. So you know, I, I agree actually with Theo on on Chat GPT. I'm glad you you typed it in. It was amusing to hear what it said. I, here's how I think like the compromise position. The crux of the matter is if you take the word documentation literally, then I am wrong, right? If it's documentation, then this is there's a good or strong argument that it shouldn't be there. It's not reference material, right? If you take the argument that this is a website and it's a product, the same way it would be any other type of product, and you take a more, you take a, I'll call it an expansive view, that we call it React Docs in name, but it serves more of a purpose than just documentation, then, then, I think that's more aligned to my perspective. That's, I think, what the crux is. If I was to settle, I think it's the difference between me and and Theo and some of the other folks up here on stage. Um, I, I mean, I think there are a lot of different ways to think about this. And like you said, I think it is really a philosophical thing. There may not be a right answer. Um, but I think some companies do handle this well, some companies and tools. Like, um, I mean, disclaimer, I work at Prisma, but I think Prisma does a really good job um, with this specifically by like in our documentation, we have an ecosystem section where it's not like a, a teaching section at all. It's just pointing out specific tools where, Hey, if you know Prisma, if you like Prisma, you might like these tools to add to your tool belt. Um, they're not part of the documentation and they're intentionally not so because at that point it's kind of out of the scope of what it's meant to do. I think that's a good example, like having the ecosystem there. I think there's two other things I think Theo mentioned that I, I like the idea that um, it's really hard to pick who you're going to include and not. I totally agree. That is a very hard, difficult problem. 
but I don't think the difficulty, well, should be entirely the reason to dissuade you from doing it. What you should say is, hey, here's my prioritized list of things to do and which one gives the most value. Maybe this one's not worth the value. So I could argue, I could understand if that's their argument. Um, and I do think if we ignore the role that the docs play as an onboarding ramp, we're if we acknowledge that we're and and say well they should only focus on the ones that are aligned to their opinions it it ignores the role that they de facto play in maybe not picking winners but influencing them um which is an important part of the ecosystem i have to but, run so yeah. i can get ready for my stream it's going to be a little later but i'm having evan you on today in three-ish hours to talk all about view so if anybody wants to come and see that i'll be there soon. Nice. Uh, yeah, thank you for having me as always. Awesome. Sorry for the last minute. Three -ish hours. What time exactly do you think you'll be having them on? 4.30 p.m. PT is okay. the goal. There you go. 4.30 okay. PT. Okay, yeah, folks, definitely go to Theo's uh, stream. Sorry, go ahead, Scott. Nope, that's it. That's our same, same thing. Yep. I actually, I sent him a list of what I thought were very spicy questions ahead of time and said, cross off the ones you don't want to answer. And he said, all of them sound good. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. <laughs> Nice. Not going to run out of hot takes today. <laughs> Sweet. Okay, Theo. Thanks for joining, though. Um, yeah, definitely. If you haven't uh, seen uh, Theo stream or him talk to, man, I don't know who like you this. are, or what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. You should. You should True tune that. in. Yeah. Um, by the way, real quick, I just want to break in there just real quick and say, hey, you know what? If you got value from anybody that's been up here on stage and has been speaking, uh, please click on them, follow them if you're not already. Um, and if you aren't, then who are you? But <laughs> I can't think of his name, but hey, no, for real though, if you got any value uh, from anybody up here, please follow them. And you know what? JavaScript Jam, we wouldn't mind a follow as well. And uh, feel free to request to come up. We love hearing from you folks. Uh, we want to get you guys involved here so that uh, you feel like you're participating and uh, getting value out of this as much as possible, whether it's an opinion, a fact, a question, and uh, you know, whatever it is, please request to come up and uh, we'd love to hear from you. And um, bring you up on the stage so looks like we got someone coming up right now actually but before we go to them did Saban have an announcement for prisma you yeah. alluded to something Scott? i did allude to that yeah there's i mean there's been a lot going on over there i think the last like you week. should you should hit us up with some what's hot at prisma right now Saban. <laughs> uh yeah i mean i don't have any like formal announcements or anything but yeah we've been doing uh a lot of cool stuff i think there our our shift as a company um, specifically over the last, like, I would say month and a half, two months, but like formally over the last month and in the foreseeable future is uh, we're completely focused on serverless and edge right now. All of our engineering efforts, all of our um, like planning efforts and um, the content that I'll be creating is all focused on serverless. And the, the idea is to um, fix just any pain points with Prisma that have to do with serverless. So I'm super excited about that. I've been pushing for that for a while. Um, even when I first started at Prisma, I mean, uh, the way I got into Prisma is because I had pain points with serverless and I was involved in the community. Uh, so this is something I'm very hyped about. And for, I mean, the past two weeks, all I've done is eight hours a day planning uh, with engineering, with with the content team about how we're going to fix these problems and move forward. Um, and yeah, the the roadmap's looking good. We've discovered a ton of stuff that's super exciting. Um, and yeah, yeah. And my baby's now crying, so I'm going to have to hop. But 
yeah, I'm super excited. If you have questions about any of this, hit me up, please. Nice. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I'll bring Theo up here. It sounds like you want to add something really quick to uh, that. Wanted to come back up for... Sorry, am I working now? Cool. Wanted to come back up for just a sec to thank Sabin and all the work that the Prisma guys are doing. I know I just put out a video that's pretty harsh on the Prisma stuff, but the goal there was both to to inform my audience about why their apps are so slow and also to to hopefully set up a really crazy like shot and chaser of, by the way, they fixed it. So yeah, please fix it so I can do an I was wrong video. Absolutely. And I, I think I posted this earlier on a response to one of your tweets, but stuff like that, it may not seem like it, but we absolutely appreciate any like anything like that turning out problems. Um, we, we rely on that. So thank you. Hello, Saban Jr. Hey, Saban Jr., buddy. He, he's he's trying. He, yeah, he's like, I need this to work on serverless. So. <laughs> nice. Well, they're hard at work. So awesome. They're Thank hard you at so work. Much. This is a smart direction. Uh, hats off. So, um, you know, before, uh, I guess, popping back off the stack um, to what we were talking about earlier. Uh, we had something know, Anthony, come up, actually. Oh, we wisdom. did. Oh. oh, wisdom. Definitely share that with us. What's up, man? How you doing? Yeah, I'm fine, sir. Good evening, yeah. Uh, Ryan, Nigeria. Thanks for joining. Yeah. Thank you so much, sir. This is uh, nine, past nine years in Nigeria. Sorry, um, I have a question to ask. Um, uh, about the space, like, is it is it um more of um front end development or just front and back end development? Because I'm actually a front end developer. React to a specific React. And that's a good that's... question. Actually, we we tend to hit on a little bit of everything JavaScript related. I think it maybe leans a bit more front end, but we we tend to hit the whole stack. Okay, sir. Okay, sir. So I want to ask, like, like as, as I'm upcoming front-end developer, like, what award do I need? Like, what award do I need to know to land my first tech job here in Nigeria or remotely? React. <laughs> well, I guess, actually, in Nigeria, that's a that's a twist that I can... I don't live in Nigeria, so I certainly cannot say what the job market there is like, but I would look at what are the people who are hiring asking for on the job applications. Okay, okay, sir. Okay, um, is it is it advisable to learn? Um, cause I hear like, cause I hear you know that um, React JS is a bit uh, we soon go off the market. That um, Next JS is upcoming now. So is it advisable for me to learn Next JS too, or just well, stick to so React next, JS? Next is a version of React. You can kind of think about it. So you should learn React first. And then once you kind of understand React, then look at Next.js, and you'll see that it's kind of like an extension of React. Okay, all right, so that's all for now, so. Awesome, thanks for joining. Well, I don't know if I agree with that. Like, maybe you just jump to Next.js, and you're learning both. Yeah. So to speak. Make, make that case. I mean, I think that I would recommend people at least learn some React hooks before jumping into Next, but... I would say if you're going to go to next, you should go to even higher level and do create T3 app, which Theo would tell me not to do. I mean, this is this is leads to the question that got us here, which was how do you create a get started, right? That was the, the thing in the newsletter, which 
you should check out, you know, uh, our new, the latest issue of our newsletter. There's a section where it talks about, you know, in 2023, what's the best way to create a React app? I totally agree with, with Anthony. Like, yes, you should learn React. That's probably the, the best answer given at least our exposure geographically. Uh, but then the question is, well, what do you do next? Is it, is it Next.js? Is it, or how do you get started? Um, and, uh, you know, maybe that's a good seg, Anthony, to just running through the options that are in that article and maybe your thoughts on which one you'd recommend. Yeah, let me pull that up and take a look. Um, so he leans in to React with Vite, and I think this is part of what a lot of people were a little salty about with how the React docs were put out because I think there's a good case to make for when you're first learning React, using React with Vite is kind of like the new Create React app, where if you just want to spin up like a minimal project that uses React, you'd want to do that with Vite. So that's the first thing that he kind of recommends. And then he then goes into using React with Next.js. So that being kind of like the more built out framework experience. And then interestingly enough, he then recommends React with Astro. And this is a, a cool way to lean into using React in a more kind of pared down way because it's more of like a static site generator first perspective, but using React because you have Astro, which is basically an SSG that also offers some server side rendering if you need it. And you can bring in frameworks as you want. So if you want to have a project that's just like spinning out pure HTML, but then also uses a framework, you can do that with Astro. And then after that, he gives kind of a whole bunch of different options, like using parcel instead of beat, doing a monorepo setup with Turbo Repo, using Create T3 app, or doing a React Native Expo kind of thing. So um, he doesn't mention Gatsby or Remix or Redwood or any other kind of React meta framework, which I think is kind of interesting. But I think for the most part, there's a lot of good information here and a lot of good ways to get started. So do you have a thought on, you know, the topic we were talking about from the Redwood position of whether the React docs should be mentioning third party, like, you know, what is, is there a Redwood position on this? I, I would prefer that the React docs be aim for being more comprehensive in terms of saying, here's the frameworks that exist that are fairly legit and built out and have a community and have a team behind them. So I think that not including Redwood or Create T3 app is something that I, I would like them to be in there. I don't think they're going to be added, but if I you know, was in control of the docs, I would have them in there. But, you know, it's, it is what it is. I think they have kind of their own idea of what should be mentioned and why. And I think they have, you know, a legitimate perspective. And I, I'm not particularly surprised. You know, I'm curious. Uh, and I don't know if, you know, if you're willing to share or not, but, you know, how about like a, a creator of a framework come up here and maybe give your opinion on your own documents and why, or if you would have that in there or not. <clears throat> Ryan, <clears throat> you're down there, I think, solid chance, maybe. <laughs> if you want to, <laughs> but uh, I, I'd love to hear it from, from someone's perspective who's 
It's actually, you know, well, it's it's you different know. with something like solid because solid they have solid start and that's it. That's the only solid meta framework. There's not five different solid meta that's frameworks true. that have to battle it out. Absolutely, but I'm sure he he has an opinion. So maybe he's not able to share, but. We would love to hear you. Anyway, he might be listening over the web too, and you can't you can't join. True, him. or his app might need to be redownloaded because that thing is not. <laughs> oh, that, that <laughs> we went through trial yeah. and fire to make sure he can speak in the space. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I mean, but that uh, that to me is the like the illustrative question. Like, oh, oh, we got Nikki T. What up, Nick? Hey, how's it going? How's it going? You hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you. Thanks for joining. Yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries. Uh, I do not create a framework, but I, as you know, Anthony, I work on the frameworks team. But getting getting to your point, um, I, you're a framework professional. Well, I don't know. That might be a little over. Uh, it's it's in your job. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> but uh, the the thing I was gonna say, what you were mentioning about like the docs, you know, and like maybe Redwood's not in there, or, or like other other similar projects, and like I, I think part of it is, you know, you're there to learn React. You're not there to learn how to build an app and like even if it generates stuff for like Prisma and all that stuff. And that's it's nothing against any of those projects. It's just like the goal is to learn how React works. It's not how to connect with. The... But then why include Next and Remix and Gatsby? Yeah, no, no, no. no. I, I definitely understand. Like, uh, I think in the case of Next.js, it's the only example of of server react server components working in, in uh in a... and that's and that's legit but you're also including other frameworks yeah no that yeah i i guess maybe it's so then it's a, it's a question of favoritism it's like which frameworks do they think that they should include because there's like quote unquote the community there and that's where it becomes subjective yeah i, I actually didn't realize that they mentioned remix and gatsby in there i thought it was just next but uh and that's the only reason why I felt that it would make sense to include it because I think that it's comparable to something like Remix. I think Gatsby and Next actually have had more of a claim to be included in the docs because they've been around for like, you know, years and years and years. And so, and and they do obviously have communities behind them. I think whether the the Remix community versus the Redwood community is big enough to be warranted to be included is where you get into fuzzy territory. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There, there definitely sounds like there there could be favoritism going on there. I guess I guess maybe it's more like have a section where like here's like all the meta frameworks maybe like because like if you want to build something out, but it's like getting back to the the docs part of React though. It's it's like it's really about learning the fundamentals of React. Not I mean you're obviously going to build an application at some point, but I think that that was something that was pretty nice about uh create react app or, or even if you use beat it's just like i just you know like one of the reasons why i i like react i realize is and it's i mean i'm probably saying the obvious but like there's obviously the one-way data flow and stuff but the thing i've slowly recognized over time is it's really i love the ergonomics of jsx and and like just learning like it's so easy like you know, I'm just going to create a component and another component. And, you know, like, and then you can, and then you can learn all those things about React, like, okay, we got state, we got props, you know, we got hooks and all that. And, but, and you can do all that within like something minimal like that, where you're, you're not pulling in like, you know, the whole kitchen sink, which is potentially something like Next.js or Remix or Gatsby, you know, like, so that's why 
I don't know. I, again, like I said, I didn't realize that they, they referenced those other frameworks too. Yeah, no, yeah, I think that's all. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you're saying. And that's why mostly I just want it to be like a bullet point in a list. Like that, that's really all I'm asking for is like, I think what the React docs are doing, not focusing on the frameworks is the way to go for yeah. sure. But uh, Brian's got his yeah. hand up. Cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, they can't win in this situation, uh, which is why it's kind of interesting to me. Because the problem is, I think they would have been fine leaving all the meta frameworks to the side or, you know, point form list, but they can't anymore. And that's just because of the way that they're positioning everything, even the learning aspects of it. React, they don't want you'd have started up with Vite. Like the old thing where you could just like get up get up and started and use React however you want. They've, they've raised the bar to what being a React app is or, you know, fully using React. And that makes it interesting. And the reason they did it is for a good reason. Like, don't get me wrong. They did it because of what um, you guys were just talking about, uh, what Nick, Nick was just saying, you know, you just go, you write a function, you return some JSX, and you know you're off and going and but the, pro the the problem or the tricky part there is that function that returns jsx in their head is a server component and th that is a huge huge shift that now suddenly you just you, you need something that can actually use rscs like as a baseline they actually want to make statefulness a more advanced topic like hooks come later and they don't quite do that in the current docs because RCs aren't everywhere. But you can tell by the way that they approach the learning at the beginning um, to not to, to just talk about JSX or passing props like this, the core mechanics and the kind of statefulness interactivity later mentality. So now you're kind of stuck where you're like, I want to get people started and I'm not going to actually recommend something that is client side first. So it's not going to be Vite or create React app or whatever. Even though you could build those experiences with Vite and kind of come in, you know, and like from my own personal perspective, I actually very much like the idea of like not throwing a framework at you, but um, like they're, they're kind of hands tied a little bit. So it's kind of like, how do we get people started on the server as the baseline? That is what React is and not point them at something. And then once you pick one, once you pick next, you're right. Everyone just kind of goes, oh, you're throwing favoritism. I mean, it's it's funny, but as you mentioned, Salt Start, Salt Kit, you, there's a certain understanding there. Even even Nuxt, you know, it's the, like, it's the view yeah, this framework. this is the only framework that has this problem, really. So yeah, it's 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 interesting to me because like part of me goes like you know if I was in a position like would I try really hard to push not framework and show what a baseline thing is would I try and build next app router as React router but then like they threaten alienating part of their ecosystem you know like if they could centralize those pieces which in many places they are then they could have enough pieces to teach React and start React on its own and say like the framework is an extension of it. But the way they've tried to find the line or balance makes the framework very much the core experience. And I honestly have no clue how they're going to handle that from a documentation standpoint, especially if not all um, frameworks like say jump on server components. 
Word. We got uh, someone with their hand up. Jess, you want to uh, introduce yourself also to the audience? Sure. My name is Jess. Um, I'm in the Vue ecosystem. I mostly work on the testing side. Uh, I built Cypress component testing as a tool, and, and then I shortly left Cypress uh, in June. So I'm a staff engineer right now at some app company about to join Stencil at Ionic. Um, so that's me. Um, the reason the reason I wanted to uh, to join and speak right before Ryan just laid down all my points for me um, <laughs> was to talk about to talk about favoritism and the choices that frameworks have to make and what they recommend. So let's, if you don't mind, can we boil it down to testing? Because I think that's a simpler problem that every framework has. Is that a good analogy? Yeah, oh, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, there's three really there's three really hot test runners right now, right? You got like individual test runners, Playwright, Cypress, and Vtest. Sorry, just it's you're not hot anymore. So um, I don't know that maybe that was too spicy, but <laughs> I pretty um, much agree. I'm pretty over it. <laughs> yeah, um, something about maintainership. Um, Okay, so we have this problem in testing in which there are choices and frameworks have to make decisions on how to help users create a production ready application. Like starting with fundamentals, that's cool. Like we want to teach people how to write view code, solid code, react code, and the frameworks themselves. But there comes a point in which someone's like, all right, cool, I can write templates in my JavaScript. Now what? Like I know what props are. Now what? How do I, you know, bubble up to my manager and say, "Hey, I did the thing. I built the app." You know, we have. I was trying to come up with an example app. You know, the cart page works now. GG. Uh, good game. Um, ship it. I guess is the right term. Um, the frameworks, I think, have to play quote unquote favoritism based on trust and that the users can the you know developer users can actually trust the advice of the docs page because the docs page should be the landing page for everything for how do i begin for why how and how do i do it well how do i meet my manager's needs um, and get the job done so you got to have an opinion that you can trust sometimes it's your own other times it's people that you're networking with. Um, that's just how you how you build the software well. So I think for example, solid start to like take the analogy of testing away. For solid start, um, Ryan has a lot of control over how it gets built and the users can trust the solid documentation. Svelkit, same thing, right? Nuxt, similar but different. All right, the teams are actually separate. Join, join Theo's space. He's going to talk about Nux and Vue and how they're, uh, how they're not run by the same team. So when it comes to React, there are more choices. The user base is more diverse. And I don't think there's anything wrong with playing some favoritism if you can trust the maintainership. That's my, that's my little little bit. It's also why the Vite docs recommend Vtest. They provide information about other things, but they don't have control over if Cypress component testing, you know, is going to be maintained in 18 months. They do have control over if Vtest is. That's kind of my, my take. 
Awesome. Yeah, um, thank you so much. I'm gonna just I'm just gonna say that's a very interesting. You know, I appreciate the the opinion. I have to drop for another uh, meeting. I just want to thank everyone who came to the stage and spoke. Um, and I will see you guys all next week. And I'll leave you in the great hands of Anthony and Scott. Um, but thanks, everyone. Yeah, I think um, if there's anyone who has kind of like final thoughts on this topic, uh, feel free to let them out and we'll kind of start wrapping it up here. And thank you so much for everyone who joined and spoke. This has been a, a great panel. Yeah, I just I just wanted to say one thing to to what Jess brought up good points about testing and and to to Ryan's point, like like I, I get why something like create React app or like Veet uh, wouldn't make sense if the paradigm shifting to SSR. You can't really do RSC with those things. So that I get. I, I guess like there's got to be some minimal implementation of React server components because getting back to the testing aspect, it's not. Like I had, I mean, I haven't dug into this, but like you'd think so. What? Well, well, because <laughs> yeah, it yeah. just seems weird. Like, like unless they're literally saying, you know, pairing with the next team to say, hey, we're gonna run all our tests against your implementation. But I don't think that would make sense. But, but like, there's got to be some minimum test harness that would allow you to, even if it's not like all the bells and whistles, it, there should be like at least enough there to do something maybe like i don't know i mean i also know they don't want to probably create their own framework because that's a whole other thing but anyways sorry go ahead jeff yeah i just had a really long discussion about this uh maybe three days ago uh about react server components and how to test them and somebody piped in on one of theo's threads and there's no good answer like literally nobody has a good answer for this um my prediction is going to be that and this is actually Theo's theory. Um, I'm going to give him credit because we were talking about it um, offline. And I think it's going to get really railsy. I think we're going to get really railsy with our testing um, or Laravel-y um, with our testing approaches. You know, there's the divide between server components, client components. That's pretty muddy right now, um, you know, at least in the examples we see. So I think we're going to see a lot more end-to-end -end tests, which I'm not happy about. I don't like end-to-end -end tests. Um, anyway, I don't know. Do you know anything about this, Ryan? No, I mean, I, I haven't really gotten as far as testing, still thinking mechanics. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. I mean, w w SSR testing... Have we been doing anything special for that in general? Like, I'm just saying, because right now we have components that run in the client and on the and on the server, and they run differently. I guess the the problem here is that in a server component environment, you can't just emulate one of those environments and say go. You actually have to have both to catch the interact, like the the back and forth between them, which seems tricky, especially if they all have different bundles, like uh, like different uh, to put it. Uh, like a module graph, like uh, you, you in theory in a framework. I don't know if the case in React have three different types of export conditions or builds, which seems tricky. You have like built for client, built for server, built for server components. Like, um, so yeah, it's uh, yeah. I have I'm no good answers here. I can give you the current answer um, for the for how it used to be. Um, so the way with SSR that we currently do it is 
pretty mock heavy for when you want to be in the in the server context. I'm going to talk um, in in view terms. You know, we're reacting right now, but um, but same problem. Um, so it's very mocked out, and most of it's node side, and you don't get a lot of coverage. And end to end tests are the thing that finally give you the coverage for the different like compilation contexts. So it's it's I think the mode the push to God, I forgot who said it. I'm so sorry. Maybe it was Nick. Um, the push to introduce server components, React server components, is the first way or the best way to experience React. That's going to make the importance of testing use server client or use server and use client components in their proper context, not in mocked contexts, right? That's going to make that more important. So currently our coverage for any code branches that have like if, you know, a client only, um, any of these brand logic branches that ask you to be in a different context, right? Any of those little guys. Um, they're currently somewhat covered, but truly they have to be executed when both the server and the client are compiled in their most production-like way whether that's staging, you know, dev server, whatever. I think we need more end-to-end -end tests, and I hate it um, a little bit. I kind of hate it a lot. But thanks. <clears throat> I love that you worked at Cypress, and you're like, I hate end-to-end -end tests. <laughs> I, I open with that <laughs> on most podcasts. People think I like testing. I really don't. All right, Scott, you awesome. want to close us out? Yeah. So thank you all so much for uh, joining us today. Greatly appreciate it. And before you leave here, just make sure that you click on people's faces and follow them if you got value from them on the stage here. And if you're already following them, great. If not, hey, do it. Because I guarantee you, guess what? You're going to get value from them in other places if you got it here. Also, be sure we would love a follow too on JavaScript Jam. Just click on our little JavaScript Jam there. Logo on the top left. Follow us and get more awesome stuff like this. We do this every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And we talk about web development and everything uh, JavaScript related as well. So, yeah, be here or be square. Not just that. By the way, if we didn't mention it before, well, actually, we did. But if you didn't hear it before, we're going to be doing some awesome collaborations with events coming up very soon here, like React Miami. We're going to be there. We're going to be doing a live there. So if you want to join us online or even uh, on Twitter spaces or there in person, that would be awesome. JavaScript Jam, we will be there. And also, we're going to be uh, doing a, a collaboration with Remix and doing at the after party. We will be there doing a, a, a live uh, with some of the speakers on the panel and uh, several other things. So really excited about more events coming up in the future. Plus, we're going to be doing a, be doing a giveaway here for React Miami coming up in the near future episodes on our Wednesday sessions. And we have a new thing that Anthony and I are going to be doing, which is going to be like Teach Scott Code kind of stuff. It's going to be really fun. On Thursdays, we're going to be streaming to our YouTube and we're going to be streaming to Twitter uh, live. It's going to be so much fun. So be sure to join us there and make fun of us. It'll be fun. <laughs> or make fun of me. How's that? Um, it's going to be a great time. Um, <laughs> yeah that's all folks so <laughs> thanks so much thank you to everybody who came up here let's give everybody who came up and provided value a huge round of applause Woo! and some claps and all that good stuff it's going to be great thank you all so much appreciate it yeah with some heart some love yes yes thank you everybody appreciate it ding ding Woo! all right and uh with that said We'll see you 
in the next one, JavaScript Jam Live, every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you so much. We love y'all, and we'll see you in the next one.